Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Pull over up here. Counselor? Eddie? We had a deal. Either pay me or go with a public defender. Another five grand? Ten. Oh. Ain't you gonna count it? I just did. Your car is fun. Then why can't you get a real office? What's more fun, my office or your mom's? Yours? Boom. Mm, got her. What we did. At least we did one thing right, huh? We did a couple. Hey, Mick, I got something really big for you. What's the name? Louis. Louis Roulette. Louis Roulette? This whole thing is a setup. I made a mistake with that woman, and she was Keep setting me up. down. I need 100 grand up front. I'm working on 550 an hour. I take it none of that's a problem? No. I just got lucky. The charges against my son are ridiculous. So is that woman. Regina Campo, part-time actress, part-time office temp. And hoping to retire after suing my client. According to the victim, she was at home alone when the suspect forced her down. You didn't strike Miss Campo with your left fist. No. Threatened to kill no, her. No, I am not that guy. I don't know, Mick. This kid feels wrong to me. Are you sure there's not anything that you're not telling me? Nothing. I got it. There were others. Other girls he killed. The injuries to the right side of their face is all too similar. Your daughter, Haley, she's got uh, soccer practice tomorrow, right? You think you're the first client that ever threatened me or my family? Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Lincoln Lawyer from 2011. The studio was Lionsgate. The release date was March 18th, 2011. The running time, 118 minutes with a rating of R. The budget, $40 million, and the box office took in $58 million, and it was the 58th ranked movie of 2011. That was domestic gross. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 84% fresh from 173 reviews. Their critics' consensus is, it doesn't offer any twists on the predictable courtroom thriller formula, but with the charming Matthew McConaughey's leading its solid cast, The Lincoln Wire offers briskly enjoyable entertainment. Roger Ebert at the time gave it 3 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. I like movies about smart guys who are wise asses and think their way out of tangles with criminals. I like courtroom scenes. I like big old cars. I like The Lincoln Wire because it involves all three, and because it matches Matthew McConaughey with a first-rate supporting cast. While so many thrillers these days are about a lone hero surrounded by special effects, people have words they actually say in this movie. Let's start with the big old car. It's a Lincoln, and a lawyer named Mick Howler, played by McConaughey, and he does most of his work out of his back seat. Apparently, he drove it himself until he was socked with a DUI, and given how much he drinks in the film, it's amazing he remembered where he parked it. Now he has a chauffeur, Lawrence Mason, who ferries him around to the Los Angeles dealers, hookers, bagmen, and lowlifes who are his clientele. Mick's specialty is getting people off, sometimes in a perfectly legal way. There were decades in the movies where heroes drove new cars, unless it was a period picture. Car makers used to pay for their product placement. We saw Mustangs and GTOs and Chargers. 
But in recent years, action and thriller heroes have driven mostly classic cars, or oddballs like Hummers. The reason for this is obvious. Modern cars all look the same, and none of them look heroic. Can you imagine James Bond in a Camry? My Ford Fusion gets good mileage, but McCower would just look silly doing business out of the back seat of one. The only new cars still popular in movies are the big black SUVs with tinted windows, which usually prowl in packs. So let's not get into the details about the movie. Details are interchangeable in movies like this. What you want is a laconic wise guy in the lead. And McConaughey does a nice line in those. You need a good dame in the picture. Marissa Tomei plays his ex-wife and courtroom opponent and still friend. When Tomei walks into a movie, it's like the queen came into the room. I want to stand up. And I now know why Lady Gaga wants Marissa to play her in her biopic. It's not because they look like sisters. It's because every woman and many men would love to have a smile like Marissa Tomei's. We also meet the other character actors, like the opposing attorney, Josh Lucas. We meet Mick's former client he plea bargained into prison, Michael Pena. We meet a cop, Bran Cranston, who considers McConaughey a shyster. And the most valuable character is Mick's private investigator, William H. Macy. The P.I. role isn't very big, but Macy makes it distinctive. He brings a quirky familiarity that creates a history between the two men without a lot of setup. You care for this hardworking sap. All of this comes together in a satisfactory way. It isn't brilliant, it's far from foolproof, and the second appearance of the motorcycle gang technically qualifies, I think, as a miracle. The law of seemingly unnecessary characters comes nicely into play as events from the present turned out to be connected to the past. I did feel undercut by the movie's final revelation, which is, let's face it, completely arbitrary. The plotting seems like half-realized stabs in various directions, made familiar by other crime stories. But for what it is, the Lincoln Lawyer is workmanlike, engagingly acted, and entertaining. And that's the end of Ebert's review. So I think it was a Netflix rental when I first saw The Lincoln Lawyer, and I just loved it because I'm a big fan of crime films and, and those with a legal angle, and this has both. And plus, Matthew McConaughey is one of the few superstar actors that is still relatively young. He's uh, 50 years old as, as of this episode. And what I mean by superstars is that I would see a movie simply because they're in it. And there are not many young actors I can say that about today. And the days of Hollywood stars are sadly a thing of the past, and I don't think they're coming back. All right, let's get into the main cast. Of course, Matthew McConaughey. He plays Mick Holler. McConaughey started his career in the early 90s playing a creepy, jailbait-seeking dude in Dazed and Confused. But his big break came in the starring role playing another attorney in the John Grisham adaptation of A Time to Kill. Other well-known films from McConaughey included Ed TV, The Wedding Planner with Jennifer Lopez, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days with Kate Hudson, Failure to Launch with Sarah Jessica Parker, and We Are Marshall. Marissa Tomei plays Maggie McPherson. Ebert mentioned what a great actor Tomei is, along with her terrific smile and everlasting beauty. And she's also an incredibly underrated actress, in my opinion, because she's great in almost every movie she's in. Tomei's career started in the mid-1980s, mostly on TV shows, but she did have a recurring role as Maggie Loudon in NBC's A Different World. The film that made her a star was, of course, 1992's My Cousin Vinny with Joe Pesci, in which she won Best Supporting Actress. She was also nominated for Best Actress for In the Bedroom in 2001 and The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke in 2008. Ryan Philippe plays Louis Roulet, and Philippe's career started in the early 90s on the soap opera One Life to Live. He started to get noticed with teen audiences for the films I Know What You Did Last Summer and Cruel Intentions, which both had Sarah Michelle Gellar. He also met his future and later ex-wife Reese Witherspoon on Cruel Intentions. 
Other notable films prior to The Lincoln Lawyer for Philippe included Gosford Park, Crash, and Flags of Our Fathers. The director, Brad Furman, and this was only Furman's second full-length film as a director. His first was 2007's The Take. All right, let's get into the making of the film. So it was based on a novel written by Michael Connolly, who also wrote the novel Blood Work, which was adapted to a film starring Quinn Eastwood and Jeff Daniels, and I also did an episode on it. He's also the creator of the TV series Bosch, based on the character he wrote in his 1992 novel The Black Echo. Connolly said his initial inspiration to write The Lincoln Lawyer was during a conversation he had with a guy sitting next to him at the Los Angeles Dodgers game. The guy said he was a lawyer that worked out of his car. They discussed why he did that instead of using a traditional office setting. And the lawyer said that Los Angeles County was so vast and large and had so many different courthouses that it just made more sense to always be on the move instead of being in one central location. So when the game was over and from his continuous conversation with the lawyer during the game, Connolly felt he could definitely write a story around this type of character. Conway wrote a three to four page treatment about how the Mick Collar character conducted business and his day-to-day life driving around Los Angeles. And just from this treatment, it was set to Conway's agent. And then word spread and got out into the world of Hollywood and the producers who were intrigued with the idea of this character because it wasn't set in a traditional Hollywood setting. But the real Los Angeles and the neighborhoods you don't always get on film, kind of like the old Raymond Chandler gumshoe stories. Getting the project off the ground took a while due to the producers wanting to find the right actor to play the lead. Producer Tom Rosenberg enjoyed Matthew McConaughey's serious roles more than his comedy roles and felt that this could be the right part for him. McConaughey had actually read a treatment of the script years earlier, and now it popped back into his lap and he signed on. Interestingly enough, McConaughey thought he was going to be a criminal defense lawyer prior to becoming an actor. McConaughey liked the street-smart lawyer character, who had a bottom-feeder quality, deep, though deep down, he was a person who, who was doing the right thing, though his exterior might not display that. So once McConaughey signed on, it was time to find a director. And the producers had a few names, but McConaughey rejected those and suggested a young director named Brad Furman, whom McConaughey had just met at the time. And he really liked the film The Take. Marissa Tomei was offered the role without an audition and accepted, which pleased the producers immensely because, again, she's one of the top actresses around. Ryan Philippe, on the other hand, had to really win over the producers to land this part because there were a number of other actors up for the role of Louis Roulet. Philippe and McConaughey worked really well together as Hero versus, well, you're going to have to find out. So let's get into the film. The opening credits begin with the fabulous soul classic from Bobby Blue Bland, Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City. Check out his 1974 album, Dreamer, if you want to be treated to a blues and soul classic. It's just awesome. Ain't no love in the heart of the 
Caller Matthew McGonaghy is a slick criminal defense attorney who acts like he's always three steps ahead of everyone, which I love to watch. The confidence makes him a successful and wealthy lawyer, but that could eventually catch up with them, as you will find out later in the film. In the meantime, his quick thinking helps a client to begin the film. Harold, you shouldn't be running from your lawyer. It's bad form. And you know what I want to talk about? In a minute, Judge Powell's going to call us down. He's going to want to know if we're ready for trial. We are? We are not. And you know why not. Rule one, I get paid or I don't work. Don't worry, I got your money. Exactly, you got it. I don't. It's coming. I talked to my boys. Listen, Harold, I looked on the list of people I trust. You're not on it. The law says you can't just quit. The judge won't let you. I looked it up. Pay close attention. Michael Holler for the defense, Your Honor. If I may, I'd like to carry this over. Do you have a reason, Mr. Holler? Having trouble locating a witness, Your Honor. An indispensable witness, a Mr. Green. How much time do you need? That's hard to say. Does the state object? No, Your Honor. All right, I'm going to hold this over. Pending notification from counsel. Basically, Mick just made up that story about the so-called witness in order to delay the hearing in order to get paid by his client. That was nice maneuvering, right? Mick's closest friend and confidant is Earl, played by Lawrence Mason, his driver. Instead of having a traditional office to conduct business in, Mick essentially does all of his work in his Lincoln Town car. Now, that's one way to save on costs, and you can write off the mileage and gas. His license plate says, NT Guilty. So I was thinking, boss, you know, uh, you get your license back and whatnot, maybe, uh, you know, I could stay on and like a permanent thing or something, you know? I got my license back three months ago, Earl. <laughs> hey, boss, want me to do something about that? Because I can. Nah, just keep doing what you're doing. to the left, my man. How about you? Not bad. Your ride's a little messy. Yeah, May doesn't come till Tuesday. What can I do for you, big man? Our boy Harold called from the pen, said you're stalling his case. Do you see some more green? I don't get paid. I don't work. We paid you. Five thousand. 
That's long gone, Eddie. Now look, I could tell you that half of it went to an aerial photo expert. He's gonna blow the state's case by showing that the DEA violated the airspace over Harold's farm by flying too low. I could also tell you that I gotta fly that guy in from New York City, get him to testify, put him up in a hotel and all that kind of stuff, but you don't need to know that. All you need to know is that we had a deal. It's time to refill the tank. What? Another five grand? 10. He wants to fly business. He wants a first-class hotel. And we want Harold back on the farm. He's our best farmer, if you know what I mean. I don't, and I don't want to. Now look, either pay me or go with a public defender. He won't know much about airspace, but... Ain't you gonna count it? I just did. Keep that rubber on the road, Eddie. Let's roll, Earl. That was some more slick maneuvering by Mick as Earl asked if they should go pick up the aerial expert at the airport and Mick admits there is no such person. He could get a camera expert easily there in Los Angeles. The biker gang would be none the wiser and he just pocketed some extra funds. As long as he gets his client off, that's all that matters. And by the way, the head of the biker gang you heard in the last clip is country music artist Trace Adkins. Next, Mick goes to visit another potential client named Louis Roulet, played by Ryan Philippe. He's been arrested on charges of beating up a prostitute. Roulet is basically a wealthy socialite, not used to not getting his way. Louis Roulet? Yes. I'm Michael Holler. Mr. Holler, I got called you because I need someone. This whole thing is a setup. I made a mistake with that woman, and she was Keep setting me up. Keep down. Hear me? Don't say anything about the case until I get you out on bail. I understand your family lawyer's in court. Yes, his name's Cecil Dobbs. He's here somewhere. I'll find him. Tell me about yourself. How old are you? 32. Ties to the community? Did you grow up here? Yeah, Beverly Hills. I went to USC. I worked for my mother's business. I met your father. He died when I was two. How much did you make last year, Lewis? My taxes said 600000 I want a lawyer, too. My name's Corliss, two S's. You got a card on you? Listen, buddy, they'll have a lawyer for you out there. Right now, I need you to back away and give us a little space. Can you do that, pal? I'm backing, boss. There we go. Okay. Uh -huh. There we go. There we go. And listen, they've... Uh... Put some heavy charges on you, Lewis. The DA's probably gonna ask for no bail. No bail? I say they're gonna ask for it. When was the last time you were arrested? Never. So if I checked your, your record? You'd find parking tickets. Are you gonna get me out of here? Mick's ex-wife is Maggie McPherson, played by Marissa Tomei. She works as a prosecutor for the DA's office. They are on good terms and share custody of their daughter. In the pre-hearing, the judge sets bail on Lewis at a million dollars, and he must wear an ankle monitor to prevent being a flight risk. However, a million in bail is nothing to the Roulet family. This case is a big deal for Mick, as it could potentially be a big payday for him having a high-profile client. That being said, Lewis handpicked Mick as his lawyer when the family already had a prestigious law firm normally handling their business, and that's a bit mysterious. And this, of course, will come into play later. Cecil Dobbs, played by Bob Gunton, is the family's lawyer. And you may remember Gunton as the brutal warden in the Shawshank Redemption. Now, Lewis is adamant about his innocence of the charges against him. 
He wants to go to a trial quickly and plead his case and his innocence. Lewis claims that he was at a nightclub and Reggie Campo, played by Margarita Lavavia, a regular at the club, propositioned him at the bar and gave him her apartment address to meet at 10 p.m. after her boyfriend would be gone. Lewis claims that once he entered Reggie's apartment, he walked in and while his back was turned, was hit by Reggie in the back of the head by a blunt object and was knocked unconscious. He claims a gay couple from the apartment complex robbed him and then he was arrested once the police arrived. Lewis claims Reggie set everything up to say that he beat her while he was the one robbed and beaten. He claims that her friends must have staged a beating to her in order to make it seem plausible that Lewis was the one who committed the assault. Mixed case investigator is Frank Levin, played by William H. Macy. Frank has the police report filed by Reggie that gives an entirely a different account of that night's incident. Now, Reggie claims that Lewis violently entered her apartment and immediately began hitting her and throwing her around the apartment before holding her by knife point at her throat. Evidence shows Lewis's fingerprints on the knife. Reggie then kicked Lewis in the leg to get free from being held by knife point and then hit him over the head with a bottle. And that's what caused the giant welt on the top of his head. Now, Frank isn't too sold on Lewis being innocent, and it doesn't seem right to him that Lewis handpicked Mick to be his lawyer. Mick, on the other hand, seems to buy Lewis's story. Frank will investigate everything about the case to make sure Mick isn't caught with his pants down in court. Frank obtains security camera footage of the club on the night of the incident, which cost a grand. The footage backs up Lewis's claim that Reggie gave him her address on a cocktail napkin, along with seeing the boyfriend who could have been in on the robbery. Also, Frank confirms that Reggie is a prostitute. Mick meets with the prosecutor on the case, Ted Minton, played by Josh Lucas. You might remember Lucas as the head coach, Don Haskins, in the college basketball movie Glory Road. That was a good movie. In any case, Minton isn't impressed with the video and offers to drop the charges to assault with a deadly weapon and attempted sexual battery, which mean Lewis would probably get a sentence of four to seven years. Mick is shocked and believes that he must be missing something here if the DA isn't willing to plea bargain a better deal than that. Now, as it turns out, the evidence that Frank obtained, specifically the knife in question, was different from the real evidence provided by the DA. The real knife was covered in blood. Now it's not looking so great for Lewis. You lied to me, Lewis. You didn't tell me you were paying Reggie Campo for sex. I don't go looking surprised. Could have easily told me that in Cecil's office. I didn't want my mother to find out. Cecil tells her everything. Oh, so you decide to keep from me the one thing that could have made this trial go away? Huh? Is that what Minton said? No more trial? I said could have. If that had been the only lie you told me. What do you mean? Recognize that? It's a picture of your knife. The one you had on you when you went to Reggie's. The one the cops had. That wasn't the knife that was in the file. That's right. It wasn't. The file Frank got us is what we call a loaded deck. The cops used it to set us up to make us think they didn't have anything, when in fact, they've got enough to put your golf-playing ass away for 20 years, big boy. You do exactly as I tell you from now on. You got it? So Lewis claims that he always carried a knife on him after his mother was raped after showing a client a home. They are both high-profile realtors. Mick, as you heard from the last clip, is pissed off and wants no more surprises from Lewis. Now, this film is interesting for a modern mystery thriller as there are some character development in The Lincoln Wire, which is not normally the case any longer in today's films. They just want to get to the action real quick. 
For example, there are short scenes with Mick and Maggie, where Mick drops off their daughter at night to Maggie's house. Now, it doesn't really add anything plot-wise, but it does give a glimpse into the character of both. Just like this next scene with a detective played by Michael Pere. Eddie and the Cruisers! It's Eddie! Well, look who's come calling. Detective Carlin? Hey, you been to San Quentin lately? See our boy Martinez? I asked you something. How's Martinez doing up there? He make the pucker up and kiss me, team? I haven't talked to him. Right. I guess once they plead guilty and go down, you don't have much use for him, huh? But, uh, he's away forever, right? He got life, yeah. So he'll be out in 15. Too bad. Because his victim, Donna Renteria, she's dead forever. How does someone like you sleep at night with all the scum you represent? Decapitated his ex-wife. Kept her head in the refrigerator. Nice. Sweet. The DA got greedy. Tried to pile on two unsolved murders. Trick up the evidence to make it look like my guy did it. But you got your boy off. And he's out walking around now, right? Well, fuck you, Hall. No, fuck the DA. And the cops who helped him. It's called the justice system, Carlin. That's not the way it's supposed to work. So while that last scene doesn't add to the plot per se, it does add a bit to the character study of Mick. Just like this scene where Mick runs into Maggie at a bar that night after work. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. <laughs> oh, I bet you didn't know 3D movies could be so much mm, fun. Mm -mm. Fun's watching her. Mm. Mm. Join the club. Right. Hey, you didn't know Minton had Corliss till I blabbed, did you? I knew he was hot. <laughs> oh. Screw it, I'm not gonna defend Minton. He fights too dirty. Is this from Maggie McPhears? Hey, you know there are lines I won't cross. Don't you? Yeah, they're definitely still on good terms, good enough to still sleep together at times, which must be confusing to their daughter. But hey, it's complicated. Speaking of complicated, it's Mick's belief about Lewis's innocence. Now, something just isn't sitting right with him. Also haunting him are his past clients, one in particular named Jesus Martinez, played by Michael Pena, who was convicted of murder, though he claimed he was innocent, just like Lewis. 
Oh man, they had my picture everywhere, man. I, they were gonna bring me in anyway, so yeah, I'm but, like. But you told Curlin you were in her apartment, right? He didn't have that. No, no, that. He didn't have it. He didn't even have any prints. No, but that shit I said was true. I, I, I saw her at La Zona Rosa. And she said, if I paid her more money than the other guy, then we can go to her place. Nobody saw any other guy. There was another guy. There, it was, a, it was a, a white guy. He was right by the bar. The coroner says her vagina was brutalized. Are you my lawyer, man? I'm trying to be. Look, when I left, that chick was fine. Look, I slept with her. Okay, I, I did, but I didn't hurt her, I promise. Three people saw you throw a knife into the L.A. River, huh? Help me. I had that knife in my car. I knew they were going to find it, man. They were going to pin it on me, I know. Look, if all you did was have sex with her, then why didn't you leave any prints, huh? I, I mean, the place was wiped down, clean. I didn't wipe it down, though. You left semen on the towel? You remember that? Did you, did you forget the towel? No, I didn't forget anything, man. I just used that towel, I paid her, and I left. A defense ain't gonna make. Dude, don't say that! It won't make, man. It's not a chance in hell with that defense. You know what they're asking for? What? They want the death penalty, man. They want to take your ass down. They want to burn you, man. Listen, I can see to it that that never happened. But not if you don't plead. Oh, you want me to say I did it? There's a deal to be made here. And I can do it. I can get you life. Life means you're paroled in 15. It keeps the needle out of your arm, man. It's our only play, man. I'm innocent, paroled. You know what that means? That means I didn't do it. It's the best I can get for you, man. I don't want to go to jail for something I didn't do, man. You know what that's going to do to my mom, bro? I ain't going to jail for something I didn't do, bro. Come on, So Mick flies up to Northern California to visit Jesus, who is currently serving life at San Quentin State Prison. Mick wants to clarify to see if he's handling Lewis's case correctly. I'm not going to ask how you are, because I know. No, bro. You don't know. And I need to ask you some questions, Jesus. Oh, questions? Now, you know what? You didn't ask me a lot of questions back then. You never asked me, did you kill her? Mom. Please. I'm trying to make this right. I need you to tell me what happened at the Lazona Rosa bar that night one more time. Please. She was working. I liked her, you know, right off the bat, I liked her. I know she was the one, you know. You know, she caught my eye. They were going around in a little circle, you know. She was acting all cute and shit. Listen, I, I don't know how this works. I'm, you know, I don't know what's... fine. You want to dance? Yeah, I want to dance. We can give you a private dance. I picked her. I asked her to dance for me. And we started talking. You know, she said I could take her home. So how much for me to come over? Well, usually I charge a thousand. <laughs> but for you, 300 because you're sexy. And she was good, man. Yeah, so I did. But I ain't kill her. Okay, okay, but you said there was another guy, right? Yeah. She was talking to him. In the past, 
Mick now believes that it's possible that Lewis committed the murder that Jesus was convicted of. The M.O. fits. A prostitute was stabbed repeatedly in her home by a similar knife. The difference with the attack on Reggie is that the first victim didn't get a chance to fight back. Now Mick's in a major bind. He can't turn in his client due to attorney-client privilege. And if he works with the DA, well then it's collusion. So yeah, he is a good lawyer, but there was a reason that Lewis wanted him. Mick was too slick for his own good and didn't even realize it. He's representing a client who actually committed the actual crime of his past client. This all comes to a head that night. If you're wondering how I got in, I'm in real estate, so if I want to get into a friend's house. No, we're not friends. You're my client. I'm your lawyer. My lawyer. See, that's exactly what I wanted to remind you of. I'm about to go on trial, and yet I couldn't reach you. Now I find out where you were all day. Heard you tell Maggie. You shit. You went to see Jesus Martinez. And I know what you talked about. Donna Renteria. You're right, Mick. I killed her. There. No reason I shouldn't tell my own lawyer, since it's all confidential. Attorney, client, privilege. Isn't that what you told me? It's time for you to go, Lewis. All right. That's a cute picture of your daughter, Haley. She's very pretty. So she's got uh, soccer practice tomorrow, right? Yeah. Don't. Okay. don't what? You think you're the first client to ever threaten me or my family, huh? All I said was she's pretty. Are you scared, Lewis? That's where you are right now. You're in a very dangerous place.
So what's really interesting about the film and brings up a terrific point about defense attorneys is they mitigate a client who really hates them and vice versa. And professionally, the likability of a client shouldn't be a factor. But the human psyche is a complex thing. Also, not to mention, how do you defend someone who you believe is guilty? It's an incredibly difficult position to be in. So often defense attorneys know going in that the majority of their clients are guilty and they have the moral obligation to give their client the best representation they can, even if they feel they're guilty. And especially if it's a despicable crime like rape or murder, this can totally mess with your moral ideals as a person. Only a certain type of person can mentally handle this sort of profession. There's a brilliant quote from the novel and the movie, which is, there's no client scarier than an innocent one. And this came from the author's interviews with the real lawyers. Because the pressure is on to make sure your client doesn't get put away for a crime they didn't commit. Alrighty, the rest of the film is way too good and full of high-tension drama to spoil the outcome for those that have never seen the film. So how will Mick defend Lewis if he knows he's not only guilty for the crime he's accused of, but knows he's committed the crime which landed his previous client in jail for life? There are so many twists and turns that you will not be disappointed about how this story plays out. So I highly recommend you check out the film. The acting and the story is top-notch. Also, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the always excellent Brian Cranston has a vital role in the film in the second half. But I really can't tell you much about the character without giving away key plot points, so just see the movie. Alright, there were a number of deleted scenes that you can view on the DVD. One is called Check It Out. Maggie is driving Mick home from the bar as Earl is off for the night, and Maggie kids Mick about the rap music playing on the car stereo, to which Mick says he digs it. We get a little more insight about Mick's relationship with Earl, as Maggie asks if Earl has paid off his debt yet, and Mick confirms that he has, but it's obvious that Mick thinks of Earl more as a friend than someone who works for him. Maggie and Mick also discuss the loose relay case, and how Maggie won't be on that case. The next scene is called Good Night. Mick comes home drunk and plays his answering machine messages, which includes a good night from his daughter. He replays it a few times before staggering into his bedroom. The next clip is called The Car is Fun. Mick and his daughter Haley are being driven around by Earl. Haley thinks the car is fun, but way too messy. She asks why can't her dad get a real office, and Mick explains in a playful way why the car is a better fit for his business and... This is his office, and it's far more fun than her mom's office. They then arrive at a destination for Mick to meet with a client. Haley is left with Earl, and he plays the rap group Eric B. and Rakim for Haley. The last clip is Officer Maxwell. It's a scene during the trial where the officer on the scene gives an account of what he saw the night of the incident between Reggie and Lewis. All right, one fun fact. Obviously, Matthew McConaughey has a fondness for Lincoln cars because he became the spokesman for them in 2014. All right, we have a guest. It's writer and fellow DVD enthusiast and collector and big-time Matthew McConaughey fan, Bill Roseberry. He joins me to discuss The Lincoln Lawyer. Again, it's tough. This has been a tough episode because there's about an hour of the movie that I really can't talk about if you've never seen it. So you just need to see the movie. It's one of those twists and turns, and you just have to watch it for yourself. But I think you'll really enjoy it. It's one of the better, fairly more recent. I mean, God, it's now it's almost been 10 years since it came out, but it still feels like a newer movie to me. Anyway, that's the way it goes. So, we're going to talk to Bill, and I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, we are back with Bill Roseberry, always one of my favorite guests. We always have great conversations. We always seem to be talking about films that were once novels, which isn't, like, totally novel, (laughs) for lack of a better (laughs) term. But, um, 
Yeah, it's interesting because we, we talked about the firm before this and, uh, and the Lincoln right. Lawyer is based on a novel as well. So welcome back to the podcast, Bill. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> You're still in Metal Mike's uh, little uh, catchphrase. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I this is something you may not know about me, but I have a huge man crush on Matthew McConaughey. Well, hey, I get that. I always have. I mean, and, you know, for me personally, I mean, it adds to it that his dad was a Green Bay Packer. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. When did yeah. you play for the Packers? Um, oh, back in the uh, early 70s. I I can't remember if he was on any of the Super Bowl teams or not, but uh, he wasn't a really good player. Um, I mean, he wasn't like a star. I don't even think he was a starter, but he was on some of those teams. He played with a lot of those guys. The the uh, I, he, I don't know if he played for... A little bit of Lombardi. He might have gone all the way back into the late 60s a little bit. Uh, so I just quick clicked on Matthew's uh, wiki page, and it looks like his dad was drafted in 1953. Oh, oh, he was older so, than that. Oh, yeah, so he definitely played for Lombardi. He probably, oh. probably definitely played for the championship right. teams. Right, okay. I couldn't remember. Uh, um, he was actually 53. That would have probably been Curly Lambeau, to tell you. Oh, yeah. Thing. Oh, that's, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, Lombardi was probably still a... Uh, um, with the Giants, assistant coach with the Giants, correct? Yeah. Yes. And what's so. funny is, so Jim, his his dad was drafted drafted in the twenty seventh round. <laughs> That's right. when they had like thirty rounds. Yeah, right. Because they only had so many teams. So what position uh, did he play? I can't. Remember. Yeah, I'm was trying to look. Back? Um, it doesn't say. He just said he he uh, he played for the Kentucky Wildcats and uh, the Houston Cougars college football teams, and then he was drafted by the Packers. But then he was released before the season began, and then he actually never played an official league game in the NFL. Okay, okay, so. I couldn't remember. I knew he played. I knew he'd been drafted by the Packers. Or I, I thought he played a little bit. I knew he wasn't a very good player. But well, well, you have to be good to even be drafted. So you got that correct, right, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. So, but we'll anyway, get back. We'll, we'll get still back. Still a Packers. So yes. <laughs> um, okay, so did you? We had talked about this was a novel. I don't believe you've read the book. No, I have not. Uh, but so how did you hear about the movie? Was it word of mouth or did you see it was it on cable or did you see it in the theater? I did not see it in the theater, but I saw it pretty quickly when it came out on on DVD or Blu-ray. Uh, um, and I mean, it was Matthew McConaughey. I had seen the trailers for it and I'm a big fan. And I just I kind of thought it was going to be what it was to me, which was kind of like a uh, um, an urban version of a John Grisham story where right. John Grisham is more, you know, rural and, 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 and country and in the South and everything. And this was, it's basically to me watching the Lincoln lawyer is taking a John Grisham story almost and, and picking it up and moving it into LA, you know, I right. mean, that's, that's kind of what a lot of that reminded me of. And I really liked like the, the street level grit of the Lincoln lawyer. You know, there's a lot of, you know, not only was he was he courtroom smart, he was street smart. Yeah. And, you know, I love the part where his driver's like, um, he's like, man, boss, you know, he goes, you uh, Earl Earl was his name. Yes. He, Earl says, man, boss, he goes, I think you would have handled yourself on the streets pretty good. <laughs> and he sits back and he puts the sunglasses back down. He's like, Earl, I am the streets. <laughs> and I was like, it, it's like and that's why I love McConaughey, too. It's like those little things where. No matter what movie it is, Wooderson from Dazed and Confused at least comes out for, you know, just a little bit. You know, yeah. I mean, somewhere in a movie he does something and it's like, there's Wooderson. And I I mean, you know, Dazed and Confused is one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, and Wooderson is like 
probably one of my all-time favorite characters. I dressed up for him as Halloween one. Oh, year. nice. Yeah, I mean, I just so I've always loved McConaughey ever since I saw Dazed and Confused, and you know, I love him as Jake. You know, and and that's that's great too. You know, he was uh, Jake Brigance in uh, A Time to Kill, which was right. a John Grisham movie where he played a lawyer. And you know, I think it was Bruckheimer that directed um, A Time to Kill. They didn't want McConaughey. Who did uh, they want? I can't remember now, but uh, Grisham was sitting in on those casting calls, and McConaughey wasn't really anything. Nobody He'd been in, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 3, and he'd right. been in Dazed and Confused, and maybe, like, one or two other things. But he wasn't anything that anybody knew. He wasn't a household name. And, right. Um, Grisham put his foot down, you know, and, and, and unlike a lot of other writers, I think he actually had some control, creative control in those situations. And he said, that's Jake, Jake Brigantz. He goes, we're not, we're not reading for anybody else. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to the firm because we had talked about this. They wanted the, the, uh, the movie version to be <laughs> Meryl Streep and Grisham right. said, no way. I, it wasn't written that way. Yeah. So, so obviously Grisham had some clout, as you said, um, going back to, uh, Earl, the driver, I thought his character should have been more cause he seemed like really interesting, but he, maybe he really did. Yeah. Cause I, I liked the way he interacted with, um, Mick's daughter, and I think they could have gone a little bit farther with that. Maybe they do in the novel and maybe there just wasn't enough time because there is a lot going on in this film. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I wish there was more of Earl. And I also really liked, um, again, how you said he interacted kind of on the street level, like with the biker gang. That was a total right. uh, one way to, to handle them. And, and sometimes you need some street justice, some rough justice. And, and it's good to be on the side of uh, guys that, that aren't necessarily... Um, law-abiding citizens all the time <laughs> right and you know that the way he hustled them out of their money you know i mean that was you know he kind of he kind of hustled them to get mm -hmm. some more money you know and and uh you know but here's the thing i mean the, what are they they're they're not getting it you know they're hustling people to get their money so you know why not why can't i don't think he felt bad by hustling them out of some of their money you know yeah you can't <laughs> hustle a hustler so yeah. right Right. So we'll get, so we'll, they helped yeah. him out in the end anyway. So yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and that's a that's a nice payoff. So we'll try not to give away anything because there is an interesting twist at, at the end. Um, but watching it, did you kind of see where this was going, or were you surprised by by the time it finally ended? I was a little surprised. I I questioned it mm -hmm. the whole whole time, but um, you know, by the end with uh, with all the twists, I was yeah, I was pretty shocked. I, I thought the the way that the plot structure was set up and the roller coaster ride that this movie took you from, I think it's a very underrated movie. I don't think a lot of people have seen this or know much about it. Um, and the people that have, I've never heard anybody say, oh, yeah, that wasn't very good. Right, you know, exactly. It's a, it's a really well done movie. Yeah, I really wish because I'm I'm glad they made this type of movie. I'm shocked it came out this long ago because it seems like it just I came know. out. Yeah, it was 2011, so it's already been nine years, which seems crazy. But when I, yeah, when when we started doing it, I was shocked too. I was like, oh my god, I didn't realize it was that old. I just thought it was a couple of years old. 
Exactly, exactly. And uh, again, these types of stories, like kind of the, whether it be a, a lawyer or, you know, kind of a, a private detective, like those used to be made with regularity, you know, throughout right. the history of film. And now they're just kind of, eh, yeah, they're going in different routes with it, which is which is too bad because I think these always live on. They may not make a, a ton, a ton of money, but they, they do pretty well. Uh, and they're a nice diversion from just superhero movies and sequels. Sure. Um, right. So yeah, I wish there would be more movies like this. Uh, what what other did you just rewatch this recently? Yes, I did. Um, I I always do when we're gonna when we talk about what movies we're gonna do. I always because we always pick stuff that I have in my collection too. Right. So I always make sure that that I rewatch it and, and and so we can talk about it fairly soon after I've rewatched it. I had forgotten how phenomenal the cast was. Yes, for this movie. I mean, when you got people like you know ryan felipe and mm-hmm. william h macy and brian cranston and yeah. um marissa uh, tomei i mean yeah there's it's a laundry list of uh of great a- great actors in here maybe not big parts for everybody trace atkins is the yeah is the uh i mean he's great michael pena yeah, yeah. I, I love michael pena too even going all the way back to when i basically got his start on the shield right um the tv show with michael chiklis i mean i I loved him there. That was the first time I ever saw him. But I was going to say, um, uh, oh, I can't remember his name now, but he played Nucky's brother on Boardwalk Empire. He's a great character actor. Uh, oh, and Josh Lucas. Yeah. Like Wazamo. Yeah. They're Bob yeah. Gunton. I mean, yeah, you yeah. forget uh, you forget how great all these people were. Francis Fisher, you know, mm-hmm. uh, who played Felipe's mom. Shea, Shea Wiggum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you if you ever watched, watched Boardwalk Empire on HBO with uh, um, Steve Buscemi, but uh, Shea Wiggum played 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 the brother of mm-hmm. uh, of Nucky Thompson. So, yeah, yeah. What's interesting is now Brian Cranston's probably one of the bigger names of everyone on this on this list at the time. He's right. he's actually not into the in the film until about halfway through the film. So yeah, he uh, he kind of shines towards the end. Um, but yeah, there's some again. This is a great ensemble cast, and so rewatching it recently, was there anything new that you picked up, or um, what? What were your notes from that you took away from your latest viewing? Um, yeah, I think in that in that first meeting, and like you said, you don't want to really give much away, but that that first sure. meeting where uh, where William H Macy had gotten the um, the file from the police and they're sitting down with Ryan Felipe, uh, mm-hmm. building their defense. There were some things there that maybe the first time you watch it or whatever, you don't, you don't pick up where Ryan, Ryan Felipe gives you some hints, you know? Yeah. Uh, he, he, he's giving away hints and William H Macy and McConaughey are just ignoring him. In some ways, McConaughey was very arrogant going into that. Maybe oh, yeah. too arrogant. He wasn't, he wasn't going in there with a clear. He was just, you know, I, I don't know. I thought he was way too cocky in that meeting, and he missed some things out of that. That's some things that I took away from it as I've watched it over again that you may not see the first time you watch it. Absolutely, and and he also he doesn't make any bones about it. He's he's about making money. Uh, right. He doesn't really care who he takes as long as it's hope high profile. And that and then it starts to shift a little bit when he decides that. Yeah, you are in charge of sometimes life and death of these folks, and uh, you you kind of have a moral responsibility and a legal responsibility to uh, be on the up and up here, right? And and um, you know he does he does have a conscience, but I mean you can tell with him and Marissa Tomei, obviously his ex wife, yep. mother of his daughter. That's 
that philosophical difference there is the rift between them. I mean, you can tell they still love each other, but she can't. She is a prosecutor, and he's a defense yes. attorney, <laughs> yeah. and that's that's they're, that's why they're not together. You yeah. Know? I mean, that's the sole reason. I mean, and by the end of this movie, you wonder if there was a sequel, if they would get back together, because it seemed like he his eyes were opened a little bit more. I don't think eyes opened enough to become a prosecutor, but, no. you know, maybe... Maybe he pulled himself back out of. He was maybe starting to become a little bit too much of a sleazy lawyer, you know. And well, and there yeah. were things things that transpired throughout this plot structure that, like you said, kind of opened his eyes a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, yeah, and he's the complete antithesis of his of the lawyer in A Time to Kill. <laughs> so right, you know, where right. he's totally morally, you know, he's doing, he's trying to do what's what's absolutely right morally mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, for everybody, you know, for for what he's he truly stands for. So uh, and this is a little bit different. He stands for to making as much money as possible, at least in the beginning. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the the difference between Mick Holler and and Jake Brigance is night and day. I mean, yeah. I, I'm just comparing it. I felt like this had a John Grisham type feel to it because oh, not every Grisham, Grisham book is is somebody that's trying to do the right you know there there's sleaze and in 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 underhandedness in a lot of his stories too but you know jake bergrantz was definitely a lawyer that was yeah he he had a a little bit more uh conscience a lot more conscience yeah well look you always need a villain you always need some because otherwise you don't really have a plot so right some sort of uh you know dichotomy between the two the two parties and yeah, and Ryan Felipe, I think, is a very underrated actor. Oh, definitely. Yeah. How did you feel about him as the as the quote unquote villain? Absolutely phenomenal. I, I really liked him in this movie, and I think it's one of my my favorite, you know, I, I would say it's probably one of my favorite roles that I've seen him in. And I mean, you know, he's done a lot of I mean, you know, um the I Know What You Did Last Summer movies. He did all those, obviously, or and and uh then um Cruel Intentions, which yeah. I was bad in that but you know there's other things like flags of our fathers i really like him in that but he did a lot of more i, I don't know how to explain the types of movies more more kind of teeny bop type movies type things you know with cruel intentions and things like that and yeah i i just really liked him in this because why i say he's underrated is he can pl- he can play an absolute asshole but he just looks the part too he looks oh, like yeah it's just rich dick yeah. And that's what he was in this movie. And yeah, but uh, no, he put it to a T and, uh, and and I think that that's the kind of the really fun thing about this movie. You want to call it fun is uh, you're not sure in the beginning where this is going. <laughs> like it, maybe you believe him, maybe you don't. And maybe other people. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of doubt, uh, at least in the beginning. Right. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, he, yeah. I, I I was still doubting it the first time I, I had doubts, you know, the first time, even through that first meeting, I didn't pick up on those things when they had that first meeting together with him. But, you know, as you as you've rewatched it, now you're picking up things where he's giving you hints. Yes. You know, and you you learn a lot as it goes forward without, like I said, without this movie is kind of hard to do, Brian. Yeah, I know <laughs> the, the plot structure is such a roller coaster ride and you don't want to ruin it for people that haven't seen it. And right. if you just, if you're out there and you haven't seen it, you need to watch this movie. It's you'll won't be disappointed. So, so that's what I did. I mean, basically I, I, yeah, I always do my initial part and then I do the interviews. And, and so for this film, I 
basically told the story of the first half and then the second, which is the first hour. And basically the second hour I, I left it, you know, you got to watch it because otherwise I'm just giving away the whole movie. So yeah, like, like you said, I, I think uh, Bill gives it a thumbs up. I give it a thumbs up. So you should definitely. Right. <laughs> cool. Well, any final thoughts? I was also going to say that I thought the chemistry between McConaughey and William H. Macy was great too. Yeah. As William H. Macy is the investigator and, you know, they, they just had some great dialogue together and, uh, and, and just had, like I said, great chemistry on, on screen. I'd never, I don't remember those two working together in anything else besides this, but they were really good together. And, uh, um, one of the things you, we were talking about what I liked in movies. I, I like, you know, kind of complex plot structures and dialogue. Those are two things. If a movie has some of that, if it's not predictable and uh, and it has great, great dialogue, I'm I'm going to be all in. I mean, that's probably why I'm a dialogue is why I'm a great I'm a huge Quentin Tarantino fan. Oh, I mean, yeah. Because he writes some of the greatest dialogue in the history of cinema, Agreed. in my opinion. And McConaughey usually has great dialogue in the roles that he takes and stuff too. And, and that's what I thought of this movie, obviously great roller coaster ride with the, with the plot and then really good dialogue, really well written. I'd like to read the book actually after seeing this movie too. Yeah. And you bring up a good point between the relationship between um, McConaughey and William H. Macy, because that's kind of a key thing with lawyer films. You need that investigator to, they mm-hmm. need to be, uh, did you ever see the movie Jagged Edge with Glenn Close and Jeff Bridges? No, I have not. I think you'd like it. If you like the Lincoln Lawyer, you'll like it because it's the same. It's a similar type of of case. You're not. It's a thriller. You're not sure what's going on. And Glenn Close is the main. Uh, I think she's a defense lawyer, and uh, her investigator is played by Robert Lugia. So oh, similar yeah. to to uh, you know William H Macy. So I, yeah, definitely check that out. I think it came out in I believe '85. So you, you uh, okay. I believe you'd like it. Yeah. Oh, and I'm a big Jeff Bridges fan, so I'd probably. And this one will keep you guessing to the very end as well. So okay, jagged edge, jagged right, edge, nineteen eighty five. Check that out. So cool. Well, as always, thank you so much, Bill. And I know you're going to be back on pretty soon. Oh yeah, always, man. I love it. I look forward to it. So thanks, man. Yep. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat Wednesdays, eleven p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.